Today, as we jump right in to, to our text, uh, we actually are wrapping up our series, No Perfect People Allowed. Um, and in case you've been feeling a little um, down on yourself, because you're not perfect, um, and we were quite content to point that out to you every week during this series, don't feel bad, okay? There was really only one perfect person. They nailed that guy to a tree, okay? So we're okay, okay? But here's the deal. Because we're not perfect, um, we are necessarily going to be messy. And that's part of what we have to navigate here is the question that I know is on some of your minds because you've asked me and because, frankly, it's been on mine uh, multiple times throughout my faith journey. And the question is this. Okay, Hans, here's the deal. If it's true that we are not going to be perfect, if it's true that we're just not going to get there in this life, then why won't you stop talking about it? That's your question. Um, I get it. It's mine too. If it's true that we're messy and we're broken, if it's true that we aren't perfect and that we can't gain perfection, then why in the world is there all the push to be better? Wouldn't it be more gracious? Wouldn't it be more loving? Wouldn't it be more kind if we just kind of said, hey, We'll try moderately hard, and we'll do the best that we feel like doing, and we'll work really hard to be better than the other guy, and that will be good enough. The problem with that is that it's just bad logic. But I get it. I get it. And in fact, I was having this conversation with, uh, with Rob yesterday as we were talking, because you've heard me say before, you've heard me say that, you know what? And I think it's true. I know it's true everywhere, but I think it's especially true in a town like Vinton, okay, or Shellsburg or Banner, wherever you're from that's around here, smaller towns where people grow up in the church. Okay, and I want you to hear me on this one. There are lots of people who will claim Christ and will say, I am a Christian, who just aren't. Now, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not suggesting that that's you, okay? Um, if, if you, if you want to have a longer conversation with me about that, I'll invite you to do that. But there are plenty of people who will tell you, I am a Christian. And when you say, why are you a Christian? It's because, well, I go to church. And church is awesome. I'm glad you go to church. I want more people to come to church. Church is great. But I promise you, the church has never made anybody a Christian. Okay? Or, or you say, well, why are you a Christian? Well, well, because I believe in God. That's awesome. You should believe in God. God is the creator, the sustainer of the universe. He, he spoke it into existence from nothing. But believing in God has never made anybody a Christian. Like James says that. He's like, you know what? E even the demons believe. And then because of that belief, they shudder right? We know that what makes you a Christian is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What makes you a Christian is accepting the finished work of Christ on the cross and submitting to him. And so here's the rub, here's the wrestle. So we say, well, well if I know that I can't be perfect and I know I'm going to mess up, 
then how do I know for sure that I'm really a Christian? If it takes more than just saying, well, I believe in God and I go to church. And where is the tension come in. And so I want to challenge you this morning to track through this. We'll start with what Paul said um, in talking to first century Christians in Rome. Um, Paul answers this very question. They're asking, well, you know, okay, Paul, um, shouldn't we just be content to keep sinning? Shouldn't we just keep doing what we're doing? Shouldn't we just keep getting drunk? Shouldn't we just keep sleeping around? Shouldn't we just keep watching porn? Um, they probably didn't have it quite the same way we do, but um, shouldn't we just keep doing all of these things? Yeah, they're wrong, but we love God. God's gracious. God forgives us. And so can't we just be good enough? Can't you just, it's basically what they're asking Paul is, can't you just be satisfied with us? And I get the question. You know, um, Riley, our oldest daughter, who's, of course, she's teaching um, in, in Nevada right now. I say Nevada because it makes me feel better. She's really in Vegas. Um, and that always makes me feel a little... You could be praying for her because she would like to move back here to Iowa and we think that would be awesome. Um, but, but you, you know, I remember Riley when she was younger, 13, 14, really struggling, you know, um, with, with her identity and who she was and, and what we expected from her. And of course, we didn't get her till she was 10. Right? We adopted her when she was 10, and so it was always a struggle early on. But I remember Riley struggling with when, when we would correct, and we, would, and we did it in love, but we'd come around her, and she'd say, can't you just be happy with me? Oh, that's a heartfelt question, and she meant it. She's like, aren't I just good enough? Man, if you've got teenagers, you, you, you know how hard that one is to answer. Yes? you're enough. But no, it's not enough. Yes, I'm happy with you and in you, but no, I'm not happy to let you stay where you are. And this is the challenge that we have. This is what Paul says. He says, well then, you know, he, he's repeating their question, should we just keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Of course we can't do that. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? See, this is the mark. If you want to know, am I really a Christian? It's when the things that are sinful, yeah, they've got to draw, but they become detestable to you. And it doesn't mean you won't fall, and it doesn't mean you won't stumble, and it doesn't mean you won't be messy and stinky and gross, because you will. But you won't be satisfied in that. That's what we have to navigate here as we get into this. As we, as we finish this series talking about no perfect people allowed, yes, we're not perfect, and yes, it's going to be awful, and yes, life is hard, and you're going to fall down. You know why? It's because you have a dual identity. You are two people living in one body. Your physical nature is stuck in a world that is rooted in sin. And you can't just get rid of that overnight. Your physical nature is rooted in a sinful world, but as a Christian, one that is submitted to Jesus Christ and trusted in Jesus Christ, you have a new spiritual nature that is free from sin. And so you have this freer, free spirit, this freedom within, but yet your physical is rooted in a sin world. And so you, you struggle with this dual identity, and I get it, and it's hard. But it's something we have to navigate it's something we have to deal with, and, and we're not alone. 
And so we're going to get into this. By the way, it's why Blessed Hope, um, and, and we've referred to core values so many times. Hopefully you know these, but if you don't, they're on the website. We showed you, you can find them. But, but it's why discipleship is one of our core values. Look at this. I, boldness, discipleship, excellence, relationships, relevance, and worship. Those are our core values, and they're critical. Okay? Those are our DNA. They, they are at the core of everything we are about as a church. But the one I want to highlight for you is just simply discipleship. That's why we spend so much time talking about this, because the truth is this. If you are saved, we will never say you should be perfect. But what we will always say is that if you are a Christian, you will grow. If you aren't growing, then then you have to ask yourself, why is it that I have a new nature, a new heart, that Christ lives in me, that the Holy Spirit empowers me, but yet I'm still the same as I always was? That's a word of caution for us. If we're not growing, then we have reason to be concerned to a degree, okay? But we're going to get into the text here. We're going to look at Ephesians 4, 17, um, all the way through 30, and we're going to take a look at some of these things uh, as Paul talks to the church in Ephesus, okay, about the need to grow. The need, yes, you're not perfect, but the need to grow. Here's what he says. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. This is Paul talking. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Gentiles, by the way, uh, what we're going to see here is that Gentiles in this text are um, what we would refer to here as non-Christians, okay? So Paul's still writing to a culture where the grand majority of, of the church were either Jews or they were Jew, Jewish converts who then had accepted um, Jesus as the, the full culmination of their Jewish faith, okay? Gentiles was the common word used for anyone that was not a Jew, and that language had kind of translated itself to the early church to mean Christians and those that were not Christians. And so when he says Gentiles here, he's talking about people that are not yet Christian, okay? Um, some of them hopefully will be, okay? Some of them just are not, okay? But this is what he's referring to. He says, so with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. A couple things we need to drill down on there. One, I love how Paul starts this. Listen to what he says to begin. With the Lord's authority, I say this. And there are some of you in this room that I've had to have awkward conversations with. And and frankly, many more that are not in this room because that awkward conversation was more than they could bear. And there are people that I know in my life that have had to have awkward conversations with me. And I remember what I thought in the moment. How dare you? How dare you? Who do you think you are to get yourself mixed up in my life? I didn't ask you. I didn't invite you in. I didn't ask your opinion on these things. So why do you feel like you can get yourself mixed up in in what I'm dealing with and what my life looks like and things like that? And there were times... Um, that, that I would get so frustrated at people because they wanted to help me. And I didn't ask for their help. And I'm sure that some of the church in Ephesus felt that same way, but, but here's what Paul says. He's like, hey, 
This is with the Lord's authority that I come to you. It's not with my authority. And Paul had some authority. Paul had earned some authority. Paul had earned a right to correct behavior, but he's like, hey, I'm not coming to you with that. I'm coming to you with the Lord's authority. Now, can I give you a word of caution here, by the way? Some of you are thinking, yeah, okay, with the Lord's authority, I got some things to say. No. No. Doesn't work that way, right? Jesus is pretty clear in the book of Matthew. We're going to play this plank spec game. First, take the big plank out of your eye. Then you can help your brother um, or your sister with the speck they've got, the sin that they're struggling with. So the word of caution is be careful. Be careful, right? Yes, it's good for you as a Christian brother or sister to come alongside people that are struggling and to help them with their struggle, to help them with their confusion, to pour into their lives. But no, it's not good to come in like a wrecking ball and just knock things over and make things worse. And I can tell you that in my life, I've done it well and I've done it poorly. And some of you that are sitting here today that have had that conversation with me, I'm going to go ahead and give myself just a little bit of credit and the Holy Spirit a lot of credit for doing it well. And unfortunately, those that aren't here today because it didn't go well, I'm going to say that's partly on me. It's a confession I need to make. But when we approach people, we approach with grace and we approach carefully making sure that we've dealt with our own sin first. And then we help. That's what Paul said. I, I, I can give you a perfect example. Carrie and I went, okay, are you ready to be shocked again? Okay. Carrie and I, I think I probably told you this before, um, but when we, um, got together, we did things about as wrongly as a couple that wanted to follow God could do them. You were supposed to be shocked. Thank you. I know, right? We had sex outside of marriage. We lived together um, while we were engaged. And I remember when we asked Byron to marry us, Byron was the pastor at Bethany at the time, and we asked Byron to marry us. Um, oh, man, I, you know what? I, I got to be honest with you guys. I confess daily for my stupidity and arrogance. Um, still today, but especially going back. But we asked Byron to marry us, and Byron said, no. He said, I love you. And he did. I have no doubt in my mind that Byron loved us. And he gave us alternatives. He said, you know what? No, 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 no. I'll marry you a year from now like you're asking, but um, you, need to, you need to separate. You need to stop living together. You need to stop engaging in sin together. You say you want to honor God. Why do you want to get married in church? Well, we want to honor God. Do you? What's his question? If you want to honor God, then this is what that looks like. So, and he, I mean, he went so far to find us places to be. Like, Carrie, you stay here in the apartment. Matt, you go live with Charles. He's got an extra bedroom. And so we said, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? We'll, we'll go, pray. <laughs> go pray about it. That's what we said. But instead, we went home and got angry about it. Came back, absolutely not. And then he said, okay, I'll tell you what. Let's get married this week. He said, you say you want to honor God, then let's honor God with the decision to get married now, not later. No. Mm -mm. And I, because here's the deal. We were so arrogant that we were sure we were right. 
And that's what Paul's dealing with here with a lot of these people. Uh, I tell you, again, I confess for that every day. And by the way, for some of you who are thinking, yeah, I can get away with that because it worked out okay for Matt and Carrie. Listen to me. You go back and listen to some of the, the marriage series we did um, last year. But um, I promise you that Carrie and I, God was gracious, but we paid a steep price for our arrogance in the beginning of our marriage. Okay? So a word of caution to you there. I mean, I don't want anybody to walk away thinking, oh, okay, well, so it's okay. It works out well in the end. <laughs> I mean, it worked out well in the end, but we paid a steep price for that. Okay? But here's what he says. He says, uh, this is Paul talking to, to them. He says, look, it's a, with God's authority, I say this. Don't live like non-Christians. Stop it. That's what he's really saying. He's saying, look, it's with God's authority that I'm saying to you, quit it. Stop living like non-Christians. And then here's why he says, I'm like, well, why is it so bad to live like non-Christians? Because their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they've closed their mind and hardened their hearts against him. Does that sound like people that have been made new in Christ? See, this is what we're saying. We're saying, I've been made new in Jesus Christ, but I can keep doing what I'm doing. And God is gracious, and he's kind, and he forgives. But what happens is Paul says, absolutely not. Why? Because the non-Christians, you can't live like that, because non-Christians, guess what they live like? Guess what non-Christians live like? This just in. They live like non-Christians. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, non-Christians live like non-Christians, so you don't get to live like that anymore, because if you live like that, then you're living like a non-Christian. You can't claim Christ and then live like a non-Christian lives. And you know what? There's a really important distinction for us to make there. Um, there are some of us, and I've been down this road before, and I know some of you really struggle with this too, where we get really mad at people that aren't Christians for acting like people that aren't Christians. Like, we get really angry at people that aren't in Christ for acting like people that aren't in Christ. I mean, think of, we've, how many times we've talked about, think about some of the things the Bible teaches. That you forgive your enemies. Right? Forgive your enemies. I mean, who does that? Who forgives enemies just because? Well, Christians, they're the only ones that should. Why else would anybody ever forgive an enemy if... The God of the universe wasn't telling you that you were supposed to. What's the point? I wouldn't do it. Oh, give generously. Go without yourself so that you can give to other people that have need. Who does that? Only people that are Christians. Respect and value everyone. Respect life. Follow God's plan for marriage and sex in your life. I mean, we, we have all of these things, and, and then when people that are outside of the church, that are outside of faith, that don't know Jesus, that don't know God, when they do their thing, we get so mad at them for acting like that. Well, why would we expect them to act any different? Okay, I mean, there's something you need to understand here. There's a big idea here that, listen, non-Christians aren't the enemy. They're the mission. Okay? Um, we don't fight them. We fight for them. But listen to me. Here's how you fight for them. You fight for them by being different. I am convinced that one of the reasons that the church gets so upset at people that are outside of the church for living sinful lifestyles is because it is easier than looking in a mirror. 
It is easier to be pointing out the speck that is in their eye rather than taking the plank out of our own. I'm convinced that that's true. That it's easy for us to get so angry at a culture that never claimed to have God, that never wanted anything to do with Jesus Christ, we get mad at them for acting like who they claim to be instead of looking in the mirror and being irritated with ourselves for acting different than we claim to be. And it's a problem. But, but Paul is so clear here. He says, that's not you. He says, that's not you. He continues. He says, but it's not what you learned about Christ. It's verse 20. That's not what you learned. Paul says, you can't do that anymore because you've learned something different. You are different than you used to be. You've learned more. You've grown up. You've been taught. You understand Jesus. Listen to me. You're here at church today, and so most of you, I'm going to assume, are Christians today. Some of you I know for sure because we've had that conversation. You decided to come here, so I'll make a general, probably. I won't say all of you because I don't know. We haven't had this this deep conversation. But if you're here, you've at least been taught about Jesus. You've heard about Jesus. Okay, And, And what Paul is saying here is like, but you can't act like that because you've learned. I told you. And when Paul says, that you've learned and that we've told you. I mean, he, he's speaking from experience. It's like, we've talked about this. We've talked about this. Again, parents, you know where he's coming from. And you look at your kids, they're sitting at the dining room table, their heads are hung low. They got crocodile tears coming down the face and you're so angry and you're like, we talked about this. This is where he's coming from. It's like, we, we, we talked about this. We've discussed this. You are different than that because you've been grown up in Christ. You've been taught about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, if you're telling the truth, has changed your spirit, has given you a new heart. So live like it. And by the way, there's something you need to know there. There's a danger. There it is. The danger is that when you ignore Scripture... See, this is why Paul's so frustrated here with the, the Romans in the first, or I'm sorry, with, with the church in Ephesus, why he's so upset with them, why he's so um, into this, why he's pushing this so hard. Here's what, what they're wrestling with. Here's what he's saying. It's this. We've talked about this. You know Jesus. Not just do you know Jesus, but you've been taught about Jesus. You've been taught what Jesus wants. And listen to me. When you actively ignore the call of Jesus on your life, that's a dangerous game. When you ignore scripture and you decide that you don't have to or that you don't want to, when you ignore um, the teaching of the church because you've decided that I don't want to, I shouldn't have to, when you ignore brothers and sisters in Christ in your small group or in your inner circle or your accountability partners coming around you and saying, look, you're making a mistake, and I ignore that. Even though it's biblical, I ignore it because I don't want to. Something is going to happen there. God is going to give you over to your sinfulness. We read that in Scripture. I mean, I mean we, we read that. That's, that's a reality. That's something that we know Okay, God is going to give you over to your sinfulness. You'd be like, why, Matt? That's not fair. Well, what did you want him to do? Tell you time and time again that you're making a mistake? 
And when he tells you time and time again that you're making a mistake, you're just going to ignore him and shut him down? Eventually, he's going to give you over to it. And you say, well, why is he going to give me over to my sinfulness? Is it because he doesn't care? No, it's not because he doesn't care. It's because if you're not going to learn with grace, you're going to learn with pain. I mean, it just is what it is. Carrie and I, go back to our example, we, we refuse to learn with grace. God tried to be gracious. God tried to be gracious. Byron says, you know what, I've made arrangements for you so that you can honor God with your lives and be pure before your, your marriage, and then we'll do marriage counseling, and then we'll, we'll make sure that you're ready to be married. And we said, uh, thank you, arrogant man, but no, we're going to go get married on our own terms as we continue to live like God didn't tell us what was right and wrong, and we're going to get 30 minutes of premarital counseling from this nice lady who was a chaplain at the hospital, and then God gives us over to our sinfulness, and our first years of marriage are awful. We did that. That's what happens. Listen to me. You cannot ignore the call that God puts on your life. You cannot ignore the teaching of the church, the truth of Scripture, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and then expect things to go well. You can't. It doesn't work. God is going to have his way. Um, and you know what, though? That, that's the problem. It's the problem that we have because we get into this, and, and, and it's not that we don't love God. I mean, we really do love God, right? I mean, that's what temptation is, though, isn't it? Like, we love God, and we want to follow God, but every once in a while, there's this real pull. I mean, you've got to acknowledge that. There's this real pull of something that wants to bring you away from your relationship with God, something you know he says no to, but something that you just want to get involved. And, and he's looking at you, and he's like, really? What'd I do? You're, you're going to leave me for that? But, but we get sucked away, and we start to engage in these things. And, and, and you know what? If you're like me, been there, if you're like me, you're thinking, what's wrong with me? I don't want to do this. I don't want to be part of this. That's what temptation is. We get, we get stuck in this, but, but God sends Scripture and the Holy Spirit, and, we, and, and he gives the teaching of the church to bring us back. Yeah, we're not going to be perfect, but we can grow. This is what's going on here. And we, we read more and it says, uh, in Ephesians 21 through 24 here, it says, since you've heard about Jesus, you've learned the truth that comes from him. So throw off your old sin nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew you through the attitudes, um, uh, renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, okay, righteous and holy. That's what happens. See, this is the thing. It's like this draw away from Christ. It's like I end up chasing something I don't want to. And honestly, I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but I really doubt it, where you're, you do things as a Christian that you know God says no to. Like, I know God says no, but I do them anyway. And I, I get sucked into these things, and we struggle with these things. Well, what's wrong with me? Well, I haven't thrown off my old nature. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, since you've heard about Jesus, you've learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off the old sin nature. Put on Christ. 
Be who you are. You know what that's like? It's like changing your jersey a little bit. Hey, you guys know I like baseball, right? Go Cubs. Cardinals fans here? Oh. I'm sad for you. Until we probably lose to them in the playoffs, and then you'll give me grace, I hope. But here's what happens. So, um, 1922, I, you probably don't care about this, but it's so interesting to me. So, 1922, the Cubs and the Cardinals were playing a day-night doubleheader. It means they play one game in the morning, and then there's a break. Um, fans leave, new fans come, whatever, and then they play a night game, okay? Um, and so here's, here's, or well, later in the day, I guess it wasn't a night game in 1922, but um, I, I got to look at his name because I forget. Max Flack. Max Flack was an outfielder for the Cubs, and, and Max, uh, he was 0 for 4 in the first game, by the way, um, and he went home to get lunch. He lived about three blocks from Wrigley. He went home to get lunch, ate lunch, came back to the ballpark to play in the second game, and found out he'd been traded to the Cardinals for a Cardinals outfielder named Cliff Heathcote. So literally, they played one game for the Cubs and, and for their respective teams, and then between games, they, they, met, they met on the infield, and they swapped jerseys, and they played the next game for the other team. That's what this is like. That's what Paul's telling you. Okay, and he says, look, look, you switch teams, but you can't play for your new team with your old jersey. So take off the sin. Strip off the old nature. Get rid of everything. That's what he's saying. He says, strip off, throw away the old sin nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception and everything Satan. Everything that he tries to influence, strip it off, throw it away, get rid of it, put on your new nature instead. Put on God, put on Christ. And you say, man, how do I do that? Well, he tells you. Look at how you do it. Through the Holy Spirit. How do you put on your new nature? Let the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Be renewed. It's what Paul's talking about in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and he says, you know, don't be conformed to the world. That's the old sin nature, but get rid of the old sin nature, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Holy Spirit do his work in you. We neglect the Holy Spirit, something fierce. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work in your life, but you have to submit to it. And you know what? When you're actively engaging in sin, you're not submitting to the Holy Spirit. And when you actively engage in sin, you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you. And God may give you grace for a season. When you're actively engaging in sin, God may show you grace for a season while he continues to try to grow you up and to change you and to convince you and to put people in your life that can help change and convince you. But ultimately, if you won't put on your new nature, God will give you over to your sin. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, holy, righteous, blameless. That's what he says, okay? And it's a daily discipline. I need you to understand something here. This is not simple. What I'm asking you to do here is not easy. This is why small groups are so important. You, you, you've heard us for the last three, four weeks um, rail on small groups, small groups, small groups, small groups. Get plugged into a small group. Get plugged into a small group. Be part of a group. Why? Because it's hard. 
Because you need to grow. I need to grow. You need small group to help you grow, and you need small group so that you can be pouring into other people that need to grow. This is part of what we have to do. Get a partner. Get an accountability partner. Get somebody that you've given permission to tell you the truth. Remember, I ask you, like, in your life, is there someone that, you have, that you've said to them? I mean, you've pulled them, not, not, not that it's implied, not that you've kind of like, okay, well, you know what, you'll, no, but somebody that you've looked in the face and you've said, hey, I am giving you permission to hurt me if you have to. Tell me the truth. Bring me low if you need to. Point out sin in my life if you have to. Do you have somebody like that in your life? If you don't, I'm going to challenge you. Get plugged in. Because if you don't have somebody that you've given permission to point sin out in your life, then you're in danger of sinning and nobody feeling like they can tell you about it. I mean, there is nothing more tragic than a person that's that's alone, but not really alone. I mean, you, you know, some of you have been there. You feel that maybe. I, I've been there before. It's like, I'm not alone. I'm in a group. I'm, I'm here at the church. I'm surrounded by people at the church that love and care for me, but I haven't really made myself known, and I haven't really given them permission, and they don't really feel like they can take it. And so I'm sitting here, and I just go on doing whatever I feel like doing because I haven't given somebody permission to tell me the truth. It's a dangerous game to play. You need to find those people. And, and then just another word of caution, we'll go backwards a little bit. If you've, by the way, if you've given somebody permission to tell you the truth and they tell you the truth, um, I don't know, listen, right? Don't ignore them because you don't like it. Listen, you don't, you don't ask people, you don't give people permission to hurt you because it's going to be fun for you. You don't tell people, hey, listen, if you see a mistake in my life, if you see sin in my life, I need you to point it out to me. I need you to shine a spotlight on the sin in my life because I need to kill the sin in my life. I need to throw off my old nature and I need to be new. I don't give somebody permission to do that because I'm thinking that will be a good time on a Friday night. I'm smarter than that, but I know I need it. This is what Paul's talking about here. Listen, we have to understand the context of this text here. He's saying, look, Look, be different. He says, you're not like that anymore. You can't live like that anymore because you know Jesus. So throw off the old sin nature. Put on your new nature. And then he gives you this grand thing. Here, I, I want to read you these next four verses. You're like, well, what does it look like when I put on my new nature? This is what it looks like, and it's awesome. Okay? Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. Why? Because we're all part of the same family. We're all part of the same body. By the way, you know why you lie? That, by the way, you want to know what it looks like when you have on your new, you tell the truth. So he's saying, stop telling lies. Tell the truth. Okay, tell the truth. You know what it looks like when you tell the truth? You don't lie. It's not complicated. Right? The truth is the absence of lie. Implied, stated, left out, any truth is just truth. And you know why we lie? We lie because we want to win, or we lie because we want to pretend. That's why you lie. You lie because you're trying to pretend or you lie because you're trying to win, trying to be right. You're trying to get your way, something, okay? But, but Paul says, look, if you're really living in the spirit, if you're really throwing off your sin nature, you're putting on your new nature, stop telling lies. Quit telling lies because you're all on the same team. There is no winning here. We're all together and you don't need to hide because 
Nobody's perfect and we're all a mess and we're all in this together and we all have warts and we're all ugly and we all know it. That's what he's saying. Stop it. Stop telling lies. Tell the truth. Be who you are. Let other people be who they are and then grow together. And then he, he continues. He says, um, oh, and by the way, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. You want, this continues here. He's like, okay, so also, you want to be better, you want to be different, then get over your anger. Your anger is an old sin nature thing. Get over it. You can get over your anger in a couple ways. You can, Bible says it's to your, your credit to overlook an offense. I'm going to tell you from personal experience, overlooking an offense is not as simple as you might think it is. I do this all the time. I think to myself, I'm going to overlook that offense because I'm awesome. So I say to myself, I said, Matt, you're so cool. You're going to overlook that offense. And I really believe myself. Like I'm having this conversation with him. Good job, Matt. Thank you, other Matt. Way to go. Right? We're having this dialogue. And then I get into the middle of a situation. I'm like, oh, wait, I've got that offense in my back pocket. I'm going to pull it out and play it like a trump card. It's tough to overlook an offense, but if you can do it, do it. But here's what he says is get over your anger. Don't sin by letting anger control you. And oh, by the way, don't let your sun go down on your anger because when you harbor anger, when you harbor anger, it leads to resentment. It leads to these things. And you know what that does? Paul tells us here, um, this is part of your old sin nature. This is a problem. When you get angry and you don't deal, it lets Satan in your life. It gives Satan a foothold in your life. It gives Satan an area that he can squeeze through the cracks, that he can wiggle his way in there, and that he can wreak havoc. Anger. Oh, guys, anger kills. We go. We keep going here. Um, continued. 25 through 29 continued. It says, and if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. This is the difference again between your old sin nature and your new nature in Christ. You put off sin, you put on Christ. When you put off sin, you let go of greed. Why do you steal? We steal because we're greedy. Why do we hoard? We hoard because we're greedy. We hoard because we're us focused. We hoard because we deserve and we want and we need and that's all there is to it. But here's what what Paul says, your new, your, your new nature in Christ, that's a generous nature. That's a nature that is worried more about other people than it's worried about yourself. That's a nature that's worried more about giving than it is for you. That's a nature that's worried more about other people being fed than it is your being able to go out and enjoy expensive dinners. That's a nature that says I'm more worried about somebody else being loved and cared for and visited than I am about my free time and my movie that I was really going to watch tonight or whatever the case might be. But generosity then is the trademark of someone that is made new in Christ. And then finally it says this, don't use foul or abusive language. Every, everything you say, be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. This is, the, this is the final piece of this. What does it look like when you're made new? Well, you put off the hurtful, mean, nasty things that you say, the things that are designed to cut, the things that are designed to hurt. You put those aside, and instead, you be gentle, and you be encouraging, and you be gracious. You know what that really is saying? I'm saying you let grace rule the day. You let grace win. 
So Paul, I mean, he's, he's clearly, I mean, track through this. Here's what he's saying. We see it so clearly in the last verse that we'll look at, okay? Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live, okay? Remember, he's identified you. This is what this Paul's saying. It's like, he is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption, okay? Remember we said sometimes there are Christians that are just, or there are people that say that they're a Christian because they go to church, they believe in God, and they're not really Okay? Well, that's only part of the equation. There are a lot of people that are Christians that don't look like Christians because they refuse to put off sin and put on Christ and they're deceived and they're stuck and they're struggling with this and they're wrestling with this. And this is what Paul's saying here. He's like, stop that. Be who you are. Don't get stuck there. He said, you were sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's what happens. That's why I will firmly continue to argue until the day that I die and God tells me that I'm right or wrong. Okay? Because, I mean, it's got to be one or the other. Um, but I will firmly continue to argue and, and, and um, when we have these uh, doctrinal debates for the doctrine of um, eternal security. Because this is what happens. When I become a new creation, it's not like my old is put in cold storage in case I need to pick it up again. I am given a new spirit within me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. And here's what this says. And the Holy Spirit has identified me as his own, guaranteeing that I will be saved on the day of redemption. So when you are a Christian, you're a Christian. You don't have to start to waffle. Well, wait, is it really true for me? Is it not really true for me? What's going on? I don't know for sure. Stop that. Because this is what it says. It says, when you are given a new spirit, the Holy Spirit serves as the seal of approval, the down payment on what's to come in the future. You are saved for that day. You are sealed in the Holy Spirit. And so his, his final word on the matter is just simply this, be who you are. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit that has sealed you for the day of redemption. Honor the Holy Spirit by being who you are. And that's the call. That's what we do. And when we do that, here's the deal. We'll ask the praise team to come back up. Not sure what happened there. I'm out. I, there was another slide, but um, you can, hey, look. Um, it's Jesus. Um, but here's what happens. Okay? When we are sealed for the day of redemption, it gives us freedom. The freedom to live life. Okay? The freedom to go, the freedom to struggle, the freedom to make mistakes, the freedom to be secure enough in your relationship with God that when you make a mistake, you can own it and you can repent and you can try hard to move forward. Understanding who you are gives you freedom to move. It's necessary. It's right. Okay, would you pray with me as we close the service um, and just remember this. Remember that you are, as a Christian, you're made new. Throw off sin, put on Christ, and in that freedom, you can grow. Father, we just love you, and we thank you, and we praise you, and, and, and we, we just acknowledge that you are the God of the universe, and that we, that, that we can put off sin and put on Christ, and the Holy Spirit lives in and works through us because of you because you love us and because you sacrificed for us and because you gave yourself up for us. Father, we thank you for the cross where we come to know 
that Jesus died for our sins and we come to accept our need for salvation and submit to following Jesus Christ. And Father, we acknowledge that temptation is real and that sin is real and that sometimes it's hard to always follow. But we ask you with your Holy Spirit, with the help of Scripture and the church and our small groups of people and our accountability partners, the people that come around us, we ask you to continue to remind us of true things and to help us not harden our hearts, but to accept the wisdom that comes from you so that we can grow and we can risk and we can live Oh, Father, those things are so important and so critical. We just thank you for that, and we ask you to to just continue to encourage us as we live together. Amen.